Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, April 8th, marks our 149th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm, of course, your host for today's program, Deciphering Population Health. Um, just as a note, we are back live today with the podcast. We do record all of our programs and offer them as a recording, as well as in your podcast feed. Uh, we've had some technical issues the last couple of weeks, so we've gone to recorded only, but we're back live with you here today, and I do see a number of attendees join, join us today, and we're going to hope and knock on wood that the program will proceed as normal. Um, but you guys recognize our familiar co-host at left, Don Valdez. Don is a clinical documentation integrity education specialist for, our here, for us here at Actus. She serves as a full-time instructor for the CDI boot camps and a subject matter expert for us. Don has more than 20 years experience in the healthcare industry, including ICU nursing, legal nurse consulting, and was a nurse manager for a large third-party administrator for which she initiated a nurse audit program. And I'm thrilled to have her back on the show, so welcome, Dawn. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here. Okay. Absolutely. Now I'd like to introduce our special guest today. We have with us uh, James Fee. Dr. Fee is uh, Chief Executive Officer of Enjoin. As a graduate, Tulane University Health Sciences Center, double-boarded in internal medicine and pediatrics. Dr. Fee maintains a clinical practice in hospital medicine in Baton Rouge. And I just want to pause there and say thank you for your, uh, your service, Dr. Fee. And I hope you're, you are doing well um, with this COVID-19 outbreak and, and staying healthy. Um, just a little bit more background on Dr. Fee. He firmly believes that excellence is achieved through research and application. He brings to the industry years of healthcare management combined with clinical coding, documentation, and operational experience. He's a thought leader, credentialed by AHIMA and Actus, and uh, works closely with Enjoin's executive leadership team to bring innovation and CDI transformation to the market. We'll be hearing a little bit about that today, so uh, welcome to the program, Dr. Fee. Thank you. Excited to be here. Absolutely. And we also have a new face on the show. Uh, Shannon Wyatt joins us also from Enjoin. Uh, Shannon is an SAS certified advanced programmer and statistical business analyst with over 12 years of experience in biomedical research and healthcare informatics. She has an extensive knowledge of HCC risk adjustment and risk-based alternative payment models, as well as big data in healthcare and health care IT. She's developed a synergistic series of model-specific risk adjustment analytics programs, MA, HHS, HACA, and ACOs that compile various forms of patient data to deliver a comprehensive assessment of an organization's population health. That's how she ended up on today's program. So I want to welcome uh, you to the program as well, Shannon. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, as we always do, and I'm glad to have this back, we're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. Let me go ahead and launch that for you. 
should hopefully be seeing that on your screen. We all see that? The, the poll question reads, does your CDI department assist with documentation improvement efforts to improve the capture of population health data? Uh -huh, there we go. Now we're distributing. Again, does your CDI department assist with documentation improvement efforts to improve the capture of population health data? And your options are yes, no, but we're planning to do so and or further investigate. No, and don't plan to do so. Don't know or not applicable. Just one last time, does your CDI department assist with efforts to improve the capture of population health data? And your options are again, yes, no, but perhaps planning to do so or, or further investigate. Maybe the show will help you further investigate. Uh, no, and don't plan to don't know, and not applicable. Um, I'll wait one more minute while this is collecting data. We've got about 70% of our audience that have voted. Just a, a little twist on today's poll topic. We asked the same question almost one year ago to the date. We did another show, one other show on population health about a year ago, April 2019. And um, we're gonna see how these results back up to to that to see if they've changed at all in the past year. So I'm gonna go ahead and close this out and we'll come back to those results, of course, in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, uh, Dr. James Fee and Shannon Wyatt are our special guests today. Dr. Fee and Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks again for being a part uh, of the podcast today. Um, just to be introduce the topic, we, we had intended this show to be a preview of a session to be held at our 13th annual conference. Uh, as we know, we had to postpone that show following the COVID-19 outbreak. We are working to reschedule this program for late fall. So with, with any luck, we'll be able to feature Dr. Fee and Shannon's uh, session, uh, the full session, the full hour at our rescheduled program. More to come on that and we'll be breaking the news as it comes on the podcast, but um, I'm glad we do have this on. This is an important topic regardless, and it probably has some applicability to our current situation with COVID-19. Um, but I thought we could start with um, just some, some concepts and terms. This is a, a very new concept. We were chatting before the show started, just uh, it's often used population health. That term is often used synonymously with a number of like terms. So. I thought maybe we could start with some, uh, just getting our audience up to speed on where it came from, what it is, and uh, how it relates to concepts like predictive analytics, big data, some of the things we we're talking about that Shannon has experience with, uh, social determinants of health, which I know I frequently conflate with population health. Um, so maybe we'll start there, and I'll, I'll maybe start by turning it over to Dr. Fee. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I'll go ahead and kind of start at the macro level, and then and then Shannon will will jump in as well. Population health is really uh, a term that is is used with many different uh, associated definitions, and it can mean different things to different folks. Uh, originally, uh, you know, there is also a cross between population health and, and public health, and, and what is the difference there? And simply being that public health is is what we do collectively as a society to assure the conditions um, which people live 
and, and so they can achieve to be healthy. But population health is essentially, a, if you think of it at a top level, is a snapshot of the health outcomes of a group of individuals and those outcomes, uh, how they're distributed within the overall group. And, and that was actually not coined by me, but in 2003, CMS with Kendig and Stodar put that out. However, over the, the course with uh, the uh, evolution of, of healthcare and, and healthcare reform, population health moved into terms of population medicine, which is more about the delivery of care, and, and many folks are familiar with the triple aim. And one thing we'll, we'll talk about uh, during this broadcast is the quadruple aim, not only including the, the health of the population, um, smarter spending and quality of care, but also the well-being of those who deliver the care, the providers. But really, population medicine is, is about the, the, the design, delivery, and coordination and associated payment of high-quality health care uh, aligned with the, that quadruple aim. And then, and then most, most recently, so Pop Health being the big picture of a snapshot of the wealth of recently um, as defined by the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network and the roadmap for healthcare reform is, is really a financial-based or a population-based payment model. And this is where a lot of folks are zoned in, and Shannon will, will give more detail, but this is where your accountable care organizations, your alternative payment models, uh, even some of the BPCIs uh, would fall into that. So it's centered around um, how to care for a population, looking at their outcomes, their utilization uh, within a, a fixed or capitated uh, reimbursement model. So that's a high, very high level what population health is. But, but the, the joke around population health is what truly is the definition of popu health, population health because there's many, many different definitions. So Shannon, uh, some thoughts on that? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think a key thing that's interesting for a lot of people um, tiptoeing into pop health is that a lot of times, like Dr. Fee said, they're um, coming into it more because um, the alternative payment models and value-based care are kind of forcing this look at the whole picture. Um, but they're coming in with just one piece that they're trying to focus on, trying to do better on. And the reality is that that pop health is about the totality and applying these concepts across that full scope of the patient population in order to move towards that um, quadruple aim. So, um, you know, we talk a lot about um, getting down to all of the individual pieces, but you kind of have to see it in that big picture first before you can really dig into the individual pieces. And that's where, you know, you can use your data, the um, massive set of big data to mine and um, get into some specific analytics, predictive analytics, um, and insights to really move the needle for the entirety of your pop health um, population towards that quadruple aim. Yeah, and listening to both of you, you know, I'm thinking about the role of the CDI specifically. 
when it comes to the population health. Of course, you know, we we are in the documentation and work to capture. So, Dr. Fee, can you speak to this a little bit about how can CDIs get involved in this area? What would that look like for them? Yeah, I, I think that's 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 the biggest challenge um, because fundamentally and foundationally, uh, CDI as, as the profession, as well as the individuals who carry out that uh, CDI specialist, uh, are really translating the care provided. And really, when you step into um, step into Pop Health, you're moving away from focusing on the encounter or the place of service or the place of care delivery to patient-centered CDI, where it's where that patient converted to local population, converted to the larger population, utilizes, seeks care and the outcome. So as an industry, it's the same fundamental goal as the translation of care provided. Um, as an individual, where do you start? And you can start in the current setting of, of inpatient, but thinking a broader picture of defining that patient risk that patient brings to, to the healthcare or the disease processes. Um, and then also um, move into uh, uh, talking with the ambulatory folks and, and, and understanding where the organization is in their strategy and the risk-based uh, modeling uh, that we talked about as population health-based payment model. Um, so as an individual CDI specialist, I, I look at us as a critical role in the curators of data. We take a finite to a explosive exponential impact and how the data and the data accuracy. So fundamentally data integrity, uh, which leads to integrity of, of, of the actual care delivery utilization and certainly revenue. Um, so, so really being curators of data, the CDI profession, the CDI team has a critical role in becoming the champion of ensuring that the care, the risk, and the utilization, this, the necessity, the justification of, of resource use is, is critical. And most admittedly begin with risk scores, HCCs. And you can begin working with the organization at a larger level um, by capturing those acute HCCs in the inpatient setting, because that's where most of these are captured in impacting population mm -hmm. health. Uh, mm -hmm. That's where I see CDI really having a coordinated um, uh, curator of data um, at the patient level translated to the population. Yeah, HCC capture has become a big uh, hot topic in the inpatient setting, so that makes perfect sense to me. Thank you. Yeah, one of the other things I'm curious about is, you know, when we talk about individual impact, uh, sort of measurement of that impact, I think, can be a challenge. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, there, there are some roadblocks in this area, either with the data, available code sets, uh, workflows, metrics, um, I've, I've heard as being potential roadblocks to people getting started or not knowing what the, the baseline for success is in this area. 
Um, and you mentioned one too was Waldorf to see that this this encompasses different settings, outpatient as well as inpatient. Um, on folks that that think that they can just do this with inpatient charts alone, although they can start there, might have to think twice about that. So maybe I'll kick that over to you, Shannon. Any any, any thoughts just on roadblocks and, and sort of what you see um, as maybe some of the work that hospitals will have to do, organizations will have to do in order to to get a better handle on on population health and and how they can demonstrate measurable impact. Um. Well, I think you're to make improvements um, across pop health. You can quickly get into a whack-a-mole type of situation where you're you're chasing down one issue or one problem at a time, and the um, you're not really moving the needle on the population health as a whole. Um, so it definitely requires a multifaceted approach. Um, but, you know, the core of that becomes analytics. Like, you have to utilize the data um, and in a, a very structured, systematic way in order to shine a light on the areas um, that require the, um, the most effort and um, applying the resources where you're going to end up with the greatest gain. Otherwise, you're just constantly behind the eight ball. So utilizing your um, analytics, employing them to work for you, employing your big data um, to work for you is really the first step. But, but you know, to your question about um, the roadblocks and the difficulties, I think that a lot of people who are listening today um, will it will resonate with them that the greatest roadblock is the inconsistency between data um, and the lack of structure a lot of times you know if you think like dictated encounter notes and the differences between EHRs um, exports of data are not consistent um, and so there's a lot of front-end work that's required uh, to just try to get everything clean and structured because the quality of the data going in really determines the quality of the outputs that you get. You know, the story that it tells for your organization and um, where your resources are best applied is only as good as the data that's going in to inform it. Um, I think really on that note, I would also mention that a key um, factor or potential huge roadblock to keep in mind is really putting people on your data team that are very knowledgeable about healthcare data. So it, much in the same way that not every person that can use a scalpel is a surgeon, not every person that can analyze data is a health data scientist. So be very careful and cautious about um, who's interpreting and um, and helping with the decision making on your data because it's very easy to unwittingly run headlong in the wrong direction with outputs when you know a an analyst has really strong data skills and not as strong of um, 
healthcare data skills. Um, and I think a really good example there is when we talk about social determinants of health, because you know there's a lot of buzz in the industry about social determinants, and certainly they hold a lot of power for um, predicting outcomes. The the problem um, that you could run into there that actually would be a very common problem is that um, you know the success of the predictions based on those social determinants hinge on your data team's ability to identify and work with the inherent weaknesses in those pieces of data. So unlike procedure codes or uh, clinical conditions that have diagnostic criteria, um, with those we have a relatively strong confidence in the information as it appears in the data. But social determinants are almost exclusively self-reported on topic areas that carry a lot of social stigma. So as you know, we sit back and consider the um, confidence that we have in that data, we have to um, recognize and understand that there are inherent um, gaps and in that data and we have to interpret it very carefully. So I think that those are probably the the greatest roadblocks or potential pitfalls for people as they're trying to apply the data um, it, to move the needle on their pop health. Right. You can almost see because I've heard the same with uh, you know the social stigma behind some of these conditions and the fact that they are often self-reported. I could almost see CDI you know, maybe helping with the maybe development of a questionnaire for the physician during their encounters or, you know, things that might be a little different than we traditionally think with, with inpatient CDI uh, to get some of those data elements captured. Absolutely. Yeah, and the, the one thing, Shannon, that you said that jumped out at me was, you know, the the outcome is only going to be as good as the data going in. And it instantly made me think of all the copy-paste and the templates and the issues that we have with document, documentation integrity surrounding those issues, as well as the self-reported things like the drug, you know, the drug abuse, a lot of times is talked about but never named, you know. Um, so this leads, this segues into my next question um, for Dr. Fee, and it's, you know, I'm thinking about CDI, and can you give us an example of how CDI can actually make a tangible impact through a case review with this population health subject in the back of their mind. Sure, and and you know, for, for sake of time, I'll, I'll kind of give you a high-level example uh, because population health and CDI's role has many, many positive and impactful results. But really, foundationally and fundamentally as I go back to being a curator of data and the integrity of that data, and that data resides from the translation of clinical care, we 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 play a very important role. One one thing that, that Shannon mentioned that may um, be overlooked is that when you're dealing with population health, you're dealing with a group of individuals that are, are collectively are made up of many subpopulations, and those subpopulations have different, um, you know, you have the, the Medicare Advantage population, you have the 
the those pa patients that are through the exchange and HHS. So many different things, many different populations with different data requirements. So with CDI, and when you talk about a case review, case review in a in a and just to be clear, case review in a population health approach is at the patient level. So you're not talking about looking at an encounter from admit to discharge in the inpatient setting, but you're looking at multiple encounters over multiple places of, of care. And that's where the data becomes critical. So looking at the data, looking for, for identification of opportunities, and those opportunities are, are not historically what we see in CDI where you know, I add a CC or MCC or I add a risk adjustment variable and I see an impact, you know, based on, on the, the, the billing cycle of a hospital setting. But rather, this is, this is think of it as, as moving the ocean liner. So you're, you're making an impact that has, a, has a, an impact downstream. And so, so one of those is the integrity of the data. Obviously, you know, looking at data alone is an impact, but by looking at the patient level review, there's only about a 16% overlap between claims and what is in the, the documentation. That could be an opportunity for more funds to care for that patient population, and it's exemplified in the population health. So in, in, in one case example, one pop, one, three populations under study at a population level, we, we have seen through a case review exceeding $35 million of, of financial impact, but we also look at integrity of that data. Physicians are typically the coding individuals on the encounters in a primary care or subspecialty practice, and there's a lot of coding errors. So that, that's also very important. And so from a financial point of view, CDI has a direct impact on that, that part. But then uh, looking at the, the conditions that are lost in the shuffle, if you may, are not captured year over year or were never captured, um, will identify chronic disease states and, and impact care management and care gaps. Because the CDI uh, professional is working with the care coordinators, scheduling, and really aligning, getting the right patients to be seen by the, the, the providers, the right providers at the right time. So they have improved outcomes in both health, utilization, and, and, and obviously what we're used to in CDI is a financial impact. So those are at a high level, the impacts, and we can give specific examples, but for the sake of time, I wanted to give some high level overviews. Yeah, that's great. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, CDIs across all specialties, inpatient, outpatient, you know, I was thinking about those chronic disease states because I do see a lot of documentation, or I have seen in the past rather, that you know, there's a lot left out. There's a lot of describing of conditions, but not naming it. You look, you see meds that are taking, you know, low-dose Coreg, for example, or a steroid, and yet they're not calling it a chronic CHF. Um, so that that piece, I think, would also, along with the coding, like you said, be very important for CDI to focus on, just like we are moving out of 
the main focus being shifting the DRG, which of course that's important and it's applicable when it's appropriate, but it's not the only thing that CDIs are doing today. So it is evolving. So this is this is a very interesting uh, conversation here. Thank you very much for that. And um, I know we're getting close on time. We'll, maybe we'll go just a couple minutes over because I did want to share a few items here. But uh, any applicability? Last question to the current situation with the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, you know, these patients aren't all being admitted, but they're seeing being seen in outpatient clinics, you know, physician practices, and and some of those that are admitted and have been intubated and and survive are gonna. You know, unfortunately, what we've heard is they're, they're going to be carrying a lot of, uh, you know, ongoing health issues that will impact future care expenditures, costs. Um, so curious, maybe, Shannon, whether you see any crossover between what we discussed today, uh, present events, and, and sort of how CDI might be involved with um, with uh, patients that, that, that do survive the, the COVID-19 outbreak but have maybe some lasting chronic conditions that impact. Uh, their future risk scores. Absolutely. I think really the key takeaway that we've talked about today is, you know, that the documentation and data are really fundamental to characterizing and improving an organization's pop health. And that's only all the more underscored by the current outbreak because that is going to have an impact and we do need to be able to identify and track that information. So the accurate and compliant um, documentation of those encounters for positive patients will really be critical um, for tracking and trending um, to, to be able to identify the organization's overall wellness expenditures and then, you know, continuing those long-term goals. But in the near term, um, I think it'll also be incredibly important to utilize that information um, you know in the proper documentation to characterize the the impact of this crisis and um, and to be able to communicate the scale of the impact for the organization to key stakeholders right so I think a lot of the things that we talked about today are really critical to keep up with and um, and really make improvements on as we're in this crisis. Absolutely. Well, thanks guys. I, I did want to share our poll results. Um, again, we asked folks, let me pull that up here. Does your CDI department assist with documentation improvement efforts to improve the capture of population health data? Uh, so 32% said yes, they are presently involved with this. 13% uh, said no, but we're planning to do so and or investigate. 13% say no and don't plan to. 37% said don't know. And 5% not applicable. So just for year-over-year -year sake, uh, in 2019, only 21% said yes. So we've, we've seen a significant shift there. 11%, uh, a third more are saying yes, they are involved in this. 12% 12, 12 said no in, in 2019, compared to 13, so about flat there. 22% um, in 2019 said no and don't plan to, so that number's come down. And the don't knows have gotten a little more clarity. We're, we're down to 37%. We were at 40% in 2019. So it looks like 
a, a shift over the, the last year as more folks are getting involved here. Um, curious if you had any thoughts on this, uh, Dr. Fee and Roshanna. Yeah, I, I'll just give a quick thought, and, and this is this is not not surprising. Uh, we remember back in 2015 where there was goals set uh, by CMS with regard to uh, tying. Uh, reimbursement to an alternative payment model. Now we have advanced alternative payment models. The goal in 2018 uh, was was 50%, and the data that was released not too long ago, probably as I was preparing for that, the conference uh, maybe six months ago, shows this about across all payers, not just uh, Medicare or CMS, but all payers. It's it's still only about 35.8%, <clears throat> and so. As organizations decide, A, if they should take on this risk, and what does it mean to take on risk, then the resources that follow and the, and the strategy that follow aligns. But the reality is, and I'll close with this, the reality is, is that we're still operating in the fee-for-service world, the majority, and so we're in a transition phase. And you have to look at it, um, and, and I've, I've seen this in some of the literature, is you have to look at it that population health requires an investment for an organization with a later return whereas when you're dealing and well now it's changed with covid but or accelerated i guess with covid with with crunches on reimbursement um, organizations have to focus on how to shore up current resources in a fee-for-service world so so it's not surprising that uh, a profession like CDI is going to mimic or lag uh, with the industry as a whole. Just uh, actually wondered if you had any advice for the 37% don't know if if they perhaps they don't know if their organization is involved and might want to get more involved or see how they can. Any any advice for the, for that group in terms of who they might talk to in their within their hospital or their broader organization? My my biggest advice is, is um, to start trailblazing and to start finding the path. Um, most organizations have a chief transformation officer, um, chief strategy officer, or someone of that nature, um, and it, it, it tends to be a branch of of the organization, not necessarily spun out of the hospital. Um, is is if you have that individual. You might want to reach out and just have a conversation because what we have found um, is that it's a different world. It's a world that's running in parallel, and a lot of the people who live in the acute care space don't really know what's going on in that uh, risk-based or uh, you know, transformation uh, modeling-based world. Uh, so if you if you have someone there, you know, work through your your appropriate channels to just have a conversation with them. And that will probably lead to, uh, you know, as, as we have in CDI, you know, we always say yes, and we have to learn to say no. But this will open the door of many, many other things to expand your department. Absolutely. Well, thanks. Listen, I, I know we're past the top of the hour, uh, but I wanted to share just a couple quick uh, news items with you all here. Um, this is from our In the News segment. If you haven't seen the work our ACTUS Advisory Board has been doing related to provider engagement, we, we recently released our third case study 
sustaining provider engagement remotely at Cooper University Healthcare. So this is under our resources tab, uh, excuse me, our thought leadership tab and then position papers. You will find this here. We'll, we'll, we'll provide the link as we always do in our, in our show notes. But I did wanna just briefly share this uh, case study with you. If you haven't read it yet, it's definitely worth it. Um, we actually were working on this well before the COVID-19 outbreak because we wanted to present different models of how organizations engage their providers. Um, we did one where they were really strongly clinically integrated working at the elbow. We did one hybrid model. Our latest case study is on a program that is almost entirely remote, albeit it does have um, some strong on-site uh, physician presence, the physician advisors that work hand in hand uh, with, with their, uh, their clinical staff. But their CDI reviewers are all remote at Cooper University and they've got tremendous uh, provider engagement. Um, you know, just one example is they've got a over a 99% response rate to clarifications and queries. Um, they're pretty remarkable program. Definitely worth checking out. Again, it's a couple page case study with Rebecca Wilcutt and uh, Dr. Nicole Fox at that organization. Um, so please do check that out, worth your time. And now that CDI, the staffs are being moved remote, if not already moved entirely remote. In the COVID-19 world, I, I think you'll find some items in here that may help you uh, facilitate your communication between your staff and, and help with uh, remote processes. Lastly, I did want to also share with you um, some news that we've got our four new ACTUS Advisory Board members elected. So if you again go to membership in our boards and committees page, you will find our ACTUS advisory board here. We've got uh, four new board members that were voted in via popular vote of the ACTUS membership. We thank those that took the time to vote. Uh, we have Jennifer Eaton, who's joined us, uh, Emily Emmons, uh, Susan Fanton, scrolling past some existing uh, board members here, as well as Amy, Amy Van Balen are our four new uh, ACTUS Advisory Board members. So we're gonna be sending out the official announcement in tomorrow's CDI strategies, but I did wanna give you guys all a preview of, uh, of the news. These, um, these folks really serve a critical function within ACTUS. Um, they help us with the paper I just showed, for example, the, these, are, these were case studies in, in many instances based on our advisory board's organizations. They help us with leadership. They serve on our quarterly conference calls, uh, our conference panel sessions. So provide uh, really some invaluable leadership uh, and, and help us with uh, resource development within the organization. So I wanna thank those four uh, for, for, their, for coming on and being elected. I'm excited to work with them in the, in the years ahead and more to come with an announcement and CDI strategies tomorrow. All right, that is going to do it for today's edition of the podcast. Uh, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. We're, we're back on our regular live schedule. We're going to be bringing you a look at the uh, program at Brigham and Women's in my neck of the woods here in Boston, the quality focus they've taken. Um, just a reminder that you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We try to make these available at latest the Friday following the live show. Sometimes we have them up the day of. 
Uh, we provide all the links to those uh, that we shared today in the show notes. And finally, as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, please do send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org, and we'd be happy to consider those for a future show. That'll do it again. Thanks, Dr. Fee and Shannon. Great, great job today. And for all you guys out there, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.